All right. We're going to eventually be in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 1. If you want to head that way uh, in your Bibles or on a device, feel free to do that. Uh, you can take notes in your program as well. <clears throat> All right. All right, moms or dads out there, or maybe grandparents or aunts or uncles, uh, have you ever, or maybe right now, do you have a pit in your stomach or a a gut-wrenching issue in your family? Or have you had one in your family this year? Do you know what that feels like? If, If you're feeling it right now, I don't need to tell you what it feels like. You may need to recall what it feels like. Maybe it's been a while since you had a pit in your stomach, or a gut-wrenching family issue. That's what Christmas feels like. That's what the original Christmas felt like back then. So are you, or maybe someone you know closely, in a situation that seems so difficult to navigate, you just don't know how it's even going to be humanly possible? Is there a situation in your family or your direct home Your extended family, that just seems so hard, too hard. We know such situations are numerous, right? My family has them. We ask, will we ever see a certain family member again? We ask it silently now, because what's the point asking it out loud? It hurts, right? Will a relationship heal is maybe something you're asking yourself that you Dare not whisper out loud, especially on Christmas joyous festivity times, right? Well, the truth is there are difficult paths in families, and some so awkward we dare not talk about them at Christmas time, lest they rob all the feeling of joy from our hearts, right? So friends, is there good news from the Word today? from the Christmas stories today to meet us and our family in real situations, a word that would give us the unshakable hope of Christ to navigate what to the world looks like an impossible path. Let us pray. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts, may they be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, dear Lord, for you are our rock and our redeemer, our author and perfecter, our navigator through impossible paths, May you give us eyes to see and ears to hear, hearts that rejoice at your truth. For you alone do we rightly fear. You alone do we fully follow. You alone should our lives be founded upon. So, Lord, help these folks to be praying for themselves and for each other, whether they're online or here in this place today. Help them to be praying that this would be an experience of really meeting with your spirit, your presence, Lord. And when they pray for me, please, Lord, help them to pray for me and other preachers that we would rightly declare your word that your word would be heard throughout this region and through this land. I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So a bit of context today. We want to get real with the Christmas story. It is a beautiful story. I love it. I love the feeling of sentimentalizing it. That's a big word for me. Uh, it's a beautiful story, right? And, 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 but it's one, if we allow the original context to speak, it is one filled with difficulty and overwhelming situations. It's one filled with grief, especially for those parents in Bethlehem that lost children, right? It's one for the average human that the the average human 
would say, how do I get through this situation? And friends, I, I, Joseph was a faithful man and Mary was a faithful woman, but they had difficult situations to navigate and had to depend on the Lord to do it, right? So we have these stories in Luke and Matthew that come together, right? And we put them together. Often we, we, we read the Matthew story and we're, we're, we're thinking about the Luke story without even realizing, but we, we, the truth is we have these stories in these different gospels, Matthew and Luke, and we bring them together for this beautiful story. And when we put Luke and Matthew together, we, I want you to just think about some of the things the family has faced even before the birth, and by the family, I mean Mary and Joseph. What have they faced even before the birth? Well, Mary hears that her relative, Elizabeth, who's a fairly old woman past childbearing age, is pregnant. Later in her life, you could say. And that's got to be just unsettling news in a sense. Mar- Mary's thinking, wow, that's amazing, right? But she gets the news along with it that her husband, Elizabeth's husband, Zechariah, was, had an encounter with an angel and couldn't speak, and that would cause all kinds of questions and things, right? And of course, Mary has had an angelic visit herself, we hear, and, and so she has been overwhelmed and, and, and told about, about these things about Elizabeth, right? So six months into Elizabeth's pregnancy, Mary herself is having this encounter and, and is told, uh, this, this young lady, Mary, is told by a, a, a spiritual being that lives in God's presence in the heavenlies, which is kind of overwhelming, joyous, yes, but overwhelming. The usual response to human beings in the presence of angels is they fall down in fear, right? But she has this angelic encounter and, and the angel tells her that she's found favor with God and she's going to conceive a son, but she's going to conceive not in the way it naturally happens, but by the Holy Spirit. And, and is to be named in the Hebrew tongue Yeshua, or we say Jesus. He's going to be named Yeshua like Joshua. He's, going to, he's a person whose name is literally going to mean God saves. And he's going to take the throne of his father David. And his kingdom will have no end. How would that feel if you were a teenage girl like Mary? Right? Overwhelming, but you're a faithful person. You've heard of the promises, and now you're part of these ancient promises that were given to the the people of Israel, to the Jewish people, and and this is happening to you. And that's when Mary is told of, of Elizabeth's pregnancy, and she's also told these really good words that we need to hear for our difficult paths. The angel tells her nothing will be impossible with God, or a way you could translate that is impossible is not a thing to God. He can make a way out of the desert. He can lead you through the seas and part the seas and lead you through on dry land, right? He can lead you through a path that you don't even know was going to exist. Mary didn't know this was going to be her life path before she went to get water that day, right? And so Mary runs off a young woman. This is before even the birth, right? She, she runs off quickly to go and, and, and visit Elizabeth. We're not told that she tells her family or we, we don't know. I mean, different movies and things try to guess how did she handle this. But what the Bible says is that she went to Elizabeth somewhere in the hill country. And when she gets there, they have another supernatural experience. Elizabeth's already had a supernatural experience and Zechariah too and, the, and Mary as well. But when Mary gets to Elizabeth, the baby in Elizabeth's womb leaps, right? Leaps inside her in a big way. And Elizabeth, is, the scripture says, is filled with the Holy Spirit and declares a loud blessing to Mary. 
And then Mary responds in blessing with a song, Mary's song. Now, I have not had that experience with one of my cousins. I don't know about you. <laughs> like, well, I've never been pregnant. But, uh, but it's kind of strange. It's, it, this story is overwhelming. A young woman going to a woman that shouldn't have a child, by normal means, she shouldn't have a child, and then she goes by herself, which is strange enough for a young woman to travel. She goes to the hill country to see her relative Elizabeth, who should not have a child because she's too old, right? And then when she gets there, Elizabeth is declaring like praise to God and how favored Mary is, and then Mary, before she knows it, is breaking out in song and reflecting like Hannah, a character in the Old Testament, and and just praising God. It's, it's a strange and beautiful scene. I think it is so beautiful. We don't talk about that scene as much as we talk about wise men and mangers and other things. But this is all the background to the, to the Christmas story, right? And so Mary stays there about three months. And she, she heads home before Elizabeth gives birth. That's how the Gospels painted. And she comes home. Now, what would that be like coming home? Where have you been, right? She doesn't have cell phone or any way to text or email, right? She's in the hill country. No technology like that back then, of course. She comes home likely to concerned family and friends. Perhaps she's beginning to show, maybe not. Perhaps her mother has suspicions for other natural reasons. But also some things spreading around the village at the time is news of an impending Roman census that is coming and you have, a, you have a few months or several months to get to your hometown to be counted. And that news, that difficult news is spreading around the countryside for those who, who aren't really, their family line isn't really from Nazareth so they'll have to leave and go back to their village. And, and she knows she's betrothed. She's tied to somebody who's from, who, whose lineage is of another town. She's, she's betrothed or legally, legally tied to, Dave, or to, to, to Joseph, who is of the town of David, which is Bethlehem, a small town suburb of Jerusalem. And I'm sure she's wondering, as she comes back and starts to hear the news of the census, she's wondering, what are we going to do? But as the months go on, and she definitely does start to show physically, her pregnancy starts to show, and the news gets to Joseph, she's, it would be natural for her to wonder, what is Joseph going to think of her? For she knows it's not his child, and he knows it's not his child. Right? When he finds out she's pregnant, what will her family think? What will her family think that her trip to the wilderness was all about to see, to see Zechariah and Elizabeth? Suddenly when her tummy starts to expand, maybe they'll think some other things happened up there in that, that out-of-the-way place. Or maybe Joseph in a natural way would start to think, well, who ruined my Mary? Who ruined this young woman that I was planning to be married to? Was it one of her family members? It's one of the only options for a young family at that time, for a young woman at that time. And so for all kinds of reasons, Joseph is thinking, how do I divorce her quietly? Because this could ruin her. This, and it's probably, it's not her fault, whatever happened to her. And how do I, how do I divorce her quietly? Obviously, I can't marry her. It's not my child. How, what, I don't know what to do. I don't want to bring shame to her family. I don't know what's going on there, Joseph is probably thinking. But I don't want to ruin their family. I don't want to ruin her. What do I do? Because at that level, and for those people, they were already legally tied. Even though they had not consummated the marriage, they didn't live together they hadn't had the wedding celebration. He was legally tied to her. 
And yet, obviously, by all human standards, before he had his very important dream that we're going to hear about, Joseph is thinking she's been unfaithful, either by choice or not by choice. Something has happened that has prevented his life plan. And how in the world is he going to navigate this? Let's stand if you're able for the reading of the gospel. I know we're doing things that you aren't used to today, and I love it. Stand if you are able, because Christmas is not convenient to Joseph and Mary. And if you didn't like the screens or you didn't like the pace of the songs, hey, you didn't have to travel dozens of miles pregnant to get here. So let's let's stand for the reading of the gospel if you're able, and let's admit that Christmas is difficult, though joyous. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ came Uh, The birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together. She was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit and her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to, to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, Son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit, and she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. The word of the Lord, the good news. Please be seated if you like. The truth of the Christmas story is that God's plan includes difficult paths, because that's pretty much what he has to work with down here on earth, right? We create our own difficulties, and other people create difficulties for us. God is coming into this world of sin, right, to save us from sin. This is what he has to work with. This, this, the story, the Christmas story is not difficult because God enjoys putting difficulty in our life. God does not author sin or confusion. He does not, he does not want that. He is not the one telling Herod to kill the babies of Bethlehem, for example. No, But this is the brokenness that is our world, and this is why Jesus came, because it is a difficult world. But he is the God who is with us and can get us through difficult paths. So God's plan is gonna include difficult paths, and Christianity is not one that says, when you become a Christian, everything's just gonna be easy peasy. We're gonna have God's peace, we're gonna have his joy, his hope, his love, his presence, his salvation, eternal life with him. But here on earth, in this world, you will have troubles, is what Jesus said. And so God being in this world, it means that the perfect one came out of the heavens and he's come down to have relationship with us imperfect ones, right? With our broken ways of being human, with our broken relationships, with our broken things we do to our environments or our governments or the broken leaders we have. This is what God has to work with, right? And that includes the Son of God coming down to earth. So God chose long ago 
according to the prophecies we have, long ago to bring the Savior into the world through the people of Israel, his chosen people, through David's lineage, a king that, that reigned about a thousand years before Jesus' birth in Bethlehem. He, he chose, therefore, that, that town of David, that town of Bethlehem, to be part of his story. But he wanted the child to not just be a Bethlehemite, he wanted the child to be called a Nazarene. He also prophesied about that. But he also wanted the Savior to be someone who came out of Egypt. And, and you relate to this because your parents move you around. He had to be from three places. He had to be born in Bethlehem, be called a Nazarene, and be somebody who came out of Egypt. And early in the Gospels, all of those three things are fulfilled in Jesus. And those aren't three things that many, many people could say at that time that they had fulfilled, right? Or, or lived through. So the Savior would be born in one place, be from another place, and having escaped a foreign land all by the time he's at, let's say five years old, maybe younger. And that, friends, is the life of many in this world. Many whose parents struggle with having a home, you know, a consistent home and have to move from place to place. But many who struggle in countries that are unsafe and have to move out of conflicts, right? So God chooses to come down and, and be somebody who has a life on the move because that's what many human beings have gone through in the history of the world. And Jesus went through it as a baby. He was a refugee, and so were his parents. That's what Joseph and Mary experienced in their young marriage. But, but Jesus experienced a bit more than Joseph and Mary. He had one more move than they had, didn't he? The Son of God moved from the heavenlies to a uterus. That's a big move. It's a big move. I said uterus in church, all right. He, he went from heaven to her womb, if that's more comfortable. He, the Son of God who is eternal, who authored all the detailed DNA and all the things that go into it, had to actually have a body with DNA. Pretty amazing to think about, right? And, and then he's in this woman's womb and she is up in the North Hill country and he has to bounce around inside of her as she travels down to the south, whether it was on a donkey or not. I know a lot of people have been talking about that and doesn't matter one way or another Jesus was inside of her and she had to get from there to there and and then the son of God is born and, and born not just in a town that is not really a home to his mother Bethlehem was not a home to Mary it's not really his home either right the son of God by definition is being, being born into a world he created but it's not his home his home is eternity and so Mary and Joseph are experiencing homelessness. But so is this. He did not have a home. Right? This was not his home. But he came precisely <laughs> to make homes for people. He said that later on. I'm going to prepare a place for you. And maybe that was so deep in his soul because he, he was displaced out of his eternal home and became homeless as an infant. Now, I want to submit to you that God is God, and I believe God could do his story the way God wanted to do his story, and God did it this way, right? He didn't do it another way. He did it this way to young, poor parents who had to be on the move, right? Who were poor, who were poor until the moment these strangers, these unclean strangers, these magi from a foreign land showed up with their amazingly valuable baby shower gifts, if you want to call it that. But even when they suddenly become some level, uh, have some level of wealth, 
they almost immediately after getting the gold and frankincense and myrrh become refugees having to leave Israel and head off to Egypt. Just difficult. Let's go back to the scripture and consider some of Joseph's considerations. It says, as he considered these things. He's considering these things. He's not wanting to put Mary in a bad spot. He's not wanting to explain to, he's not wanting to expose something that could damage her or her family's name for the rest of her life, right? Maybe even damage siblings if there were any in that family. We, we don't know for sure according to the scriptures, but he's trying to figure out how do I navigate this? And, and I want us to think about that. He's, he's a good man. And he's wondering, how do I do this so that it doesn't hurt her, but my life isn't damaged. I don't just look like somebody who's backing out of an agreement or look like somebody who's not taking care of my child. But I can't admit it's my child if it's not my child. That's the situation he's in when the angel comes to him in the dream. And this is what, is, what Joseph is told in the dream as he is you know, probably struggling to sleep. I don't know if you've been there with the pit uh, and the gut-wrenching situation. It's not always easy to sleep, but on this night Joseph sleeps and this is what he is told in his dream, he's, he's giving encouragement first. He's given an affirmation. The way the angel speaks to him, he says, Joseph, son of David. That, that wasn't his dad's name. David is not his dad's name. You can check me on the, you know, the lineage there. David is someone that lived a thousand years ago. So when the angel starts off and says hi to him, the way he says hi to him is, you're Joseph. You're of David. You're a son of David. That's a big deal. He's saying, remember, you're part of the king's line. That's right off the bat, setting David, even though it's on a, in a dream, he's setting David on notice, like, hey, listen, this is not just an earthly situation. I'm saying you are the son of someone who lived a thousand years ago. David's dream ears would have perked up. And then he says, do not fear, which would have been, I'm guessing, a lot of what J Joseph is feeling. Do you know that do not fear is one of the most repeated statements in all of scripture? Someone once told me that there's 365 do not fear statements, one for each day of the year. I haven't looked it up, but that would make sense. Fear is the antithesis of love, another preacher said, right? Perfect love drives out fear, right? There is no love in fear. And, 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 and Joseph He's being told by this angelic visit in his dream, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. Another way God is saying, the angel is telling Joseph, God is going to take care of you. God loves Joseph. You might have a difficult situation. God is saying, I love you, don't fear. Fear's not gonna help you. You, you, you can be scared, but go forth anyway. Right? But living in fear is different, I think, than being scared of something. No one, Joseph knows that what he's about to be involved in or getting involved in is big, but he's going to saddle up and do it anyway, right? Do not fear to take Mary as your wife. This would be a dramatic decision for him, right? He's deciding how to divorce her quietly, the scripture said. But now what the angel is saying, don't fear to go take her out of that home and make her your wife. You won't get the wedding. You won't get the affirmation from the community. You won't get the celebration. You won't get to consummate the relationship with her right away. That's not gonna happen. But the right thing here, Joseph, the way through this is to follow my plan, God is saying through the angel. And it's gonna shock your family and they're gonna say all kinds of things about you. 
Some are going to say, oh, Joseph's just admitting the child was his. He was saying it wasn't, but he, look what he did. But he was told by the angel, that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And so now, suddenly, he is in the loop on the fuller story that Mary has been given as well, right? And people can say what they want, but Joseph is hearing from the angel that this is God working in Mary's womb, right? God is doing something major in the world. God is fulfilling his promises. God is calling me that I just happen to be of the line of David and I am going to be the earthly father figure for this child that's in Mary's womb. And the angel says, you shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Joseph is being led in on the ground floor to the big mission of God, right? I am going to save people from their brokenness. And so, yeah, what is happening to Joseph is difficult. It's uncomfortable. But Joseph is going to learn, hey, hey, this is all worth it. (laughs) In this world, I'm going to have some troubles, but I'm just going to take heart because God's plan is to overcome the world, and he sent Jesus in the world to save people from their sins. So he became a father who probably taught that to toddler Jesus and child Jesus as he grew up. He probably taught Jesus, hey, You're going to have a difficult life, but take heart. Take heart. You're going to be the one that helps us overcome this world. And isn't that what Jesus taught when he started his ministry? In this world, you will have troubles. But take heart, I have overcome the world. And yeah, he may have had some kind of automatic download from the Holy Spirit that taught him all these phrases to say, but I think God did a very human, natural thing and had faithful parents that taught him these things and taught them uh, the lessons they learned. They taught Jesus' lessons as he grew in stature and godliness, right? And so Joseph is given the message that the child that Mary carried and will give birth to is the promised one, the one promised from of ages past to come into the world to save the people from their sin. And the great age of salvation is dawning, and now Joseph is suddenly being empowered to be the protecting human father figure of this young life who needs to grow grow into that leadership role for, for this young life that will be part of his household. What encouragement and what empowerment for Joseph. He went asleep fearing how he might ruin some family's life and lady's life and he, and he woke up believing that God was working in the world and God was inviting him to be a part of it. Amazing. But maybe we sometimes even in our faith have a little bit of trembling, right? He knew then he had to go forth and actually do it. But he did. With God's help, he did. So there's so much encouragement for us here. I just want to end by thinking of encouragement for Emmanuel, God with us. This phrase, Emmanuel, um, or how, how we say it, God with us in English, I hope it's important to you. It's really important to my life. It was the name of the church I grew up in where I didn't pay much attention to sermons and things, honestly, growing up. Uh, but this idea, this truth of God with us is so important because I am a former outcast, right? I am a person that was filled with anxiety, controlled by sin and despair. I was a lost young man. I practiced self-harm in different ways in my earlier years. I drank to excess. I drank to blackout. I did all kinds of stupid things, including using religion and trying to, you know, make sure my parents thought I was a good young boy to hide and pretend 
The truth was I was far from God and I was lost, but I was pretty sure that I could navigate my own paths on my own until my paths got to a point where they were impossible. And there was no way through the desert that I had created for my life. So the only thing I knew to do, which I think God's Spirit causes us to do, is I cried out to God, the God I didn't really know, and the God I definitely didn't deserve. I cried out to God as a young man, not even knowing if God was real, but I cried out honestly, begging whatever was the reply. And to my deep astonishment and everlasting gratefulness, God did reply. And God said, I am here, and I am real, and I will never leave you. He didn't actually say the word Emmanuel. He didn't say God with us, but he, he said what that word means. I am here, and I'm real, and I will never leave you. God said, I'm going to do my part. <laughs> do you want to connect to me or not? Because if you do want to connect to me, I will lead you through and give you a different life. Right? Well, I chose to surrender my pitiful life at that point <laughs> and to receive the new life. My life was changed that night. And though that day, that, that, that time, it was night. It was actually literally night. It became light for me. I was born new. It was a strange birth. Just like all of our births when we began our lives with Jesus are strange births. Just like the Christmas story, really. I surrendered to Jesus, who is God with us. He changed my life that day from the, the guilty, self-imposed. I was a self-imposed outcast to a forgiven, loved, welcomed in child of God. No longer and never will be an outcast again because of his grace. And so I want to say to you, from the scriptures, from my life personally, God is with us. Emmanuel. God is with us, and this is great news. God can bring you through the most darkest of circumstances. God is our light and our hope and our forever home. God is with his family, his people. He is with them and will not leave them. He, he comes to us and says, you may feel outcast from your earthly family. You may have some difficult situation in your life or community, but you need to always remember this. God has invited us in. And we see this in the family of Jesus. Mary, his mother, Joseph, his earthly father, they are invited into God's family, right? They had a difficult path. By worldly standards, there was no good way forward for them without a lot of shame and judgment. According to the world. <laughs> that's not how we remember them, is it? Do you think of Mary and Joseph with shame and judgment? No, because God's story wins. And the deep good news that they have received is that the baby in their care was God with us, God who saves. And they face trials of various kinds, but they do so with hope because they have received the good news that the lesson of God that God has given them, the lesson for the little family to us is a lesson that's important for all families, moms, dad, grandparents, aunts, uncles, all who have difficulties in their lives and families. God is inviting us in and he can lead us through. So what I'll say to you here and any folks online, simply receive him. Surrender to leading your own life, especially if you're pretending like I did through my teen years. Receive his hope. 
And if you've already received his hope before and you were hoping for a more sentimental sermon or something today, I would say to you, be encouraged of the true story of Christmas, that God came down into our mess to lead us out of our messes. And this is the deep hope of Emmanuel today. And I encourage you to be encouraged by it and share this hope with all you can, that God is with families, with moms and dads and grandparents and aunts and uncles and mentors and friends. And and he, Jesus, faced the most difficult path on earth from birth to death so that he could lead us through. Let's pray. God, we thank you for being our ultimate leader, for guiding us through what we could not do on our own. Help us to be encouraged, uh, Lord, by the true story of Christmas. May we give you all the glory. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.